MSW Media. Thanks to Osea for supporting Daily Beans. Osea has been making clean and ultra-effective skincare and body care products for over 25 years. They use seaweed as their product's star ingredient. They're vegan and climate-neutral certified. Get 10% off your first order with promo code DAILYBEANS at oseamalibu.com. And thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code BEANS to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental United States. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. Today, Rep. Barry Loudermilk changes his story again with regards to the tour he gave on January 5th. The January 6th committee changes its schedule and points to evidence that the coup continued after the attack on the Capitol. The New York Attorney General vows to investigate Trump's big lie pack and wins in state Supreme Court in her investigation into the Trump family business. And the government expands its investigation into Truth Social. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, everyone. Happy Wednesday. How are you? How are you, Dana? I'm good. It's good to be back on the same coast with you, but just for two hours because you're leaving me. (laughs) Yes, I am headed out to D.C. here in a little bit. This is going to be a big show. We've got a lot of news to cover along with the good news. And then for our Flip It Blue segment, I'm going to be talking to Ryan Melton. He's the Democratic candidate for Iowa's 4th District for Congress. And he's running against Feenstra, who's just a dick. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. We have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, the January 6th Select Committee indicated Tuesday it's going to reveal evidence that a key lawyer from the former guy and him resumed his election-related efforts on January 7th, a day after the pro-Trump mob sought to derail the transition of power. Trump White House attorney Eric Hirschman told the select committee in video testimony revealed publicly on Twitter Tuesday afternoon that he received an unexpected phone call on January 7th, 2021 from John Eastman, the attorney who played an instrumental role in Trump's last ditch strategy to subvert the election. In Hirschman's telling, Eastman immediately asked him about something dealing with Georgia and preserving something potentially for appeal. Quote, and I said to him, are you out of your fucking mind? Unquote. (laughs) Hirschman recalled, I said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth from now on, orderly transition. And he pressed him on that. Say it, orderly transition, orderly transition. And finally, Eastman said, orderly transition. Uh, Liz Cheney released this video on Twitter today. Let's listen. Yesterday, the select committee's hearing showed all Americans that President Trump's claims of a stolen 2020 election were, to use former Attorney General Barr's words, complete nonsense. We heard this from Donald Trump's own campaign experts, his own campaign lawyers, his own campaign manager, his attorney general, and others Donald Trump appointed to leadership positions in the U.S. Department of Justice. President Trump's advisors knew what he was saying was false, and they told him so directly and repeatedly. The testimony from our first two hearings is available on the Select Committee's website, so all Americans can easily view it. In our next hearing on Thursday, the Select Committee will examine President Trump's relentless effort on January 6th and in the days beforehand to pressure Vice President Pence to refuse to count lawful electoral votes. 
as a federal judge has indicated, this likely violated two federal criminal statutes. President Trump had no factual basis for what he was doing, and he had been told it was illegal. Despite this, President Trump plotted with a lawyer named John Eastman and others to overturn the outcome of the election on January 6th. To give you a sense of the gravity of these issues, here is a clip of one of President Trump's own White House lawyers, Eric Hirschman, who talked to Mr. Eastman the day after January 6th. It was the day after. Uh, Eastman, I don't remember why he called me, He's in a, or he texted me or called me, wanted to talk with me, and he said he couldn't reach others. And he started to ask me about something dealing with Georgia and preserving something potentially for appeal. Uh, and I said to him, are you out of your effing mind? Right? I said, I said, I only want to hear two words coming out of your mouth for now on. Orderly transition. And I said, I don't want to hear any other effing words coming out of your mouth, no matter what, other than orderly transition. Repeat those words to me. And I screamed that Eventually, he said, orderly transition. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. And then I hung up on him. The minute-long clip was primarily a teaser for Thursday's hearing, which will feature testimony from at least two key allies of former Vice President Mike Pence. And that's his former counsel, Greg Jacob, and retired federal judge Michael Ludig. Jacob spent the days before January 6th helping Pence fend off pressure from Eastman and Trump to impede the transition of power on January 6th, when Pence was required to preside over the joint session of Congress and count the votes. Eastman pushed a fringe legal theory, claiming that Pence could use his authority at the session to either declare Trump the winner, reject Biden's electoral votes, or delay the session, giving time to uh, GOP-controlled Senate legislatures to appoint new Trump electors. Pence ultimately refused this pressure campaign from Trump, but he's not a hero, okay? And Eastman, of course. And a federal judge in California, Judge Carter, has ruled that the effort likely amounted to crimes. (laughs) 371 and 1512c2, both in 18 code. We know that. We told you that. Hirschman suggested that he recommended Eastman get a criminal defense lawyer, and that suggestion indicates some in Trump's White House agreed. Little has come out about the efforts to overturn the election that carried past the attack on the Capitol. As Washington reeled in the aftermath of the violence, Trump ally Mike Lindell, pillow man, was seen going into the White House days later with a document that referenced the Insurrection Act. Uh, That's an old 19th century law that Trump allies had considered invoking to seize voting machines. The committee canceled the hearing today, And the new schedule is up. There is a hearing tomorrow, and that's about the Eastman stuff. Then another on Tuesday and one on Thursday of next week. All three hearings will be at 1 p.m. Eastern, not 10 a.m. Eastern, as previously scheduled. All right. Thank you for that, A.G. And after House Committee investigating the Capitol riot revealed frankly startling details about the deception that essentially defined the Trump campaign's post-2020 election fundraising operation, New York State Attorney General Letitia James has now seemingly pledged to examine the matter in some capacity, although it still remains in its early stages. So this is a quote. The new details revealed tonight related to January 6th are disturbing. And that was from James on Monday. Went on to say, it's my duty to investigate allegations of fraud or potential misconduct in New York. This incident is no exception. 
Now, it sounds like she's talking about financial misconduct issues tied to Trump and his associates. Specifically, the riot committee revealed how the Trump campaign said donor money brought in after 2020 election was specifically the riot committee revealed how the Trump campaign said donor money brought in after the 2020 election would support an, quote, official election defense fund. But no such fund existed. Now, much of that money brought in after the 2020 election by Donald's camp apparently went to a PAC that Trump had created around that time called Save America PAC. And donors across the country were misled, shockingly, by what one ex-Trump staff characterized as just a marketing tactic. But it was, in actuality, a lie about the existence of that supposed fund. It doesn't even exist. This is a quote, every American is entitled and encouraged to participate in our electoral process. Political fundraising is part of that. Small dollar donors use scarce disposable income to support candidates and causes of their choosing. And these donors deserve the truth about what those funds will be used for. And that's the wonderful committee member, Zoe Lofgren from California. That's what Zoe added on Monday. Went on to say, we'll also show that the Trump campaign used these false claims of election fraud to raise hundreds of millions of dollars from supporters who were told their donations were for the legal fight in the courts. That's again from Lofgren. And she said that at a different point as the committee's proceedings started Monday. Closed the quote with, but the Trump campaign didn't use the money for that. The big lie was also a big ripoff. And it was indeed. Even uh, Anna Navarro was tweeting about this today. Mm. Now, James is already conducting a civil investigation into the Trump family business. And because it's civil in nature, that probe set up to potentially lead to court action against Trump's side that could result in presumably heavy financial penalties. That investigation has hinged on apparently deceptive valuations that the Trump company presented for various company assets. Now, those deceptive valuations to provide the Trump administration with unearned financial benefits such as tax breaks. Now, as for the riot committee, AG, it's unclear whether members will formally recommend Donald himself to the Justice Department for prosecution beyond the implicit recommendations that might be perceived in the committee's overall findings. Not clear. Asked about whether the committee members would issue formal criminal referrals to the Justice Department for offenses other than contempt, panel chair Rep. Benny Thompson, the Democrat, uh, as we know, who's wonderful, said, quote, no, that's not our job. Our job is to look at the facts and circumstances around January 6th, what caused it, and make recommendations after that. Now, in contrast, (laughs) Vice Chair Rep. Liz Cheney remarked, and this is a quote, the January 6th Select Committee has not issued a conclusion regarding potential criminal referrals. We will announce a decision on that at an appropriate time. The panel's already established they suspect Trump to be guilty of criminal acts such as obstruction of Congress. We've covered that. Now, New York's highest court on Tuesday rejected former President Donald Trump's last-ditch effort to avoid testifying in the state attorney general's civil investigation into his business practices, clearing the way for his deposition next month. Mm -hmm. The state's court of appeals said that there was no substantial constitutional question that would warrant its intervention in the matter following an intermediate appellate court's ruling last month enforcing a subpoena for Donald's testimony. So the court also dismissed a motion by Trump's lawyers to stay the subpoenas, Mm -hmm. saying that doing so would be academic since it wasn't actually taking up the former president's appeal in the first place. (laughs) We're not, nah, nah. Now, Trump and his two eldest crotch fruit, Ivanka and Donald Jr., they agreed last week to answer questions under oath starting July 15th, unless the Court of Appeals decided to step in. 
Now, James has said her three-year investigation has uncovered evidence that the Trump organization exaggerated the value of assets, including skyscrapers, golf courses, and even his Manhattan penthouse to get loans, insurance, and tax breaks for land donations. So he's a sketchy mm-hmm. motherfucker is what that means. Yeah, and I'm interested in in her uh, investigation into the, you know, the election defense fund, which was, you know, the Save America Definitely. or whatever. What's interesting to me, though, is, you know, a lot of people are like, well, do you have to prove that the big lie that he knew it was a lie in order for that to be a crime? And I don't think so, because he even though he did defraud donors on the big lie, the actual, I think, technical fraud here is that he said it was going to an election defense fund and it did not. Correct. I don't even think it has to. You have to prove that he knew he was lying in this particular case for that to be criminally investigated. We'll find out. And uh, Dana, we've got more on Rep. Barry Loudermilk, which I think is Ron Burgundy's other testicle. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, you play Ron Burgundy, you play your cards right and you'll get to meet uh, Kenneth Cheesebro and Barry Loudermilk. Oh, my God. They all sound (laughs) made up. I do. I know. And and his tour, right, of, of the Capitol. Well, not the Capitol, but as we have learned today, the Cannon Building on January 5th. Loudermilk who's a Republican from Georgia, led a group of 12 people through the Rayburn House. And now it's actually it's grown to 15 people. And that's Capitol Police Chief Thomas Manger. He wrote that in a June 13th letter to Republicans on the House Administration Committee. His report confirms evidence that January 6th Select Committee said it had last month. According to Manger, a group of 12 of Loudermilk's constituents arrived at the Rayburn building at 11 a.m., met with a congressional staffer. The group, which Manger says later grew to 15 people, headed toward Loudermilk's office. Though they were out of camera shot for a while, the group appeared on the Capitol complex security camera at 1 p.m. So between 11 and 1, where were they? But they appeared on the Capitol complex security cameras at 1 p.m. in the basement of the Cannon House office building, which features several exhibits. While perusing the exhibits, Loudermilk separated from the group. He left, left them alone and exited the complex through a nearby Longworth House office building. That's how he left. Now, quote, the group continued in the Cannon building without Representative Loudermilk. At no time, though, he said, did the group appear in any tunnels that would have led them to the Capitol. Manger noted that none of the activity Capitol Police observed on January 5 tours qualify as suspicious or evidence of reconnaissance by would-be rioters. But he's changed his story like a million times. His description of a tour group has changed markedly. And this is all from Politico, right? And they put this out in public reporting. In a radio interview during the Capitol attack, he acknowledged having about a dozen people in his office. Last month, he described the group as a constituent family with young children. A day later, he said the family had some guests that joined them. And of course, last year, he said he didn't give any tours at all. In a statement to Politico about the shifting descriptions, Loudermilk said, To my knowledge, no one in the small group, a constituent family and their guests that visited my office on January 5th, has been connected to or formally investigated or criminally charged with any of the wrongdoing related to the activities at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I don't know that you necessarily had to be there to provide reconnaissance, but whatever. Investigators have sought to determine whether anyone who may have entered the building on January 5th returned the next day as part of the mob that breached the Capitol. You should also probably be looking at whether they gave information to people who, or they know anyone who breached the Capitol that day. Loudermilk has not identified any of the tour guests or indicated whether any of them were later seen in footage connected to the events on January 6th. And while they were in the Cannon Building and not the Capitol Building itself, it's important to note that there are tunnels that connect them, and they did see those tunnels. They just didn't go through them. 
And also the, you know, you remember the 1776 returns document that was found on Enrique Tarrio? Yes. That was about occupying all kinds of buildings in the Capitol complex, including the Cannon Building. And so, you know, I mean, there, you know, just whatever, you know, make take take of it as you will, because I I personally still want more answers. Uh, Rep. Pete Aguilar, a member of the panel, told reporters Tuesday he wanted a full security footage to be aired at some point. He thought certain Republicans distinction between entering the Capitol itself versus its office buildings wasn't a meaningful difference. He says, I'm sorry if I don't distinguish between the two because those rioters tried to get in every corner of these buildings. I agree. I agree indeed. And last story in this segment, federal security regulators have expanded their investigation into the planned merger between a blank check acquisition company and former President Donald Trump's social media business known as Truth Social. And that's according to a Monday morning filing with the SEC. Truth Social's financial prospects are heavily reliant on investment tied to the merger, which may never come to pass. The Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating communications between the blank check company called Digital World Acquisition Corp. and Trump himself. Of particular interest would be if the two sides negotiated prior to DWAC going public, which would have been illegal. Now, DWAC previously disclosed that it was under investigation, but on Monday said the regulators are seeking additional documents and information. Mm-hmm. This includes communications regarding DWAC's due diligence of companies other than Donald's. If it occurred, relationships between DWAC and other entities, and that's including IPO underwriter E.F. Hutton, and certain forward-looking statements and, quote, certain elements of transaction history for equity. So they are starting to look into this. Bing bong. So Save America PAC under investigation probably soon. He's at him and his business under investigation. SEC investigating Truth Social, um, Department of Justice, January 6th committee. Dude, uh, but you know, my my horse in this race has always been Fonnie Willis down there in Fulton County, Georgia. We know that her special grand jury is underway, uh, robustly underway. So we should see something soon. All right, we'll be right back with Democratic candidate for Congress in Iowa's 4th District, Ryan Melton. For the Flip It Blue segment, followed by the good news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone, as you know, I've been upgrading my whole house, and that includes my bedroom, and especially my bedroom furniture. And my favorite piece comes from Thuma. Thuma practices an intentional, less is more design philosophy for the bedroom with clean lines, subtle curves, and lifestyle enhancing details. Thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication. So I recently purchased the bed by Thuma. It is handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood. I love the minimalist design, the clean lines featuring Japanese joinery. It really takes my bedroom to the next level. It's really supportive for my mattress. It's comfortable, breathable, and it's really quiet, too. I'm happy with it. So happy. The bed by Thuma comes with a lifetime warranty. Lifetime. Ships right to your door in three easy-to-maneuver boxes and only takes five or so minutes to assemble with no tools required. Plus, Thuma works with One Tree Planted to plant one tree for every bed and nightstand sold. And all of their essentials are Green Guard Gold Certified. That's a really hard certification to get. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. And now go to thuma.co slash beans and use the code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental United States. That's T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans and enter beans at checkout for a $25 credit thuma.co slash beans and use code beans. You'll be glad you did. 
Everybody, welcome back. It's time to Flip It Blue. And featured in today's Flip It Blue segment, he's running as a Democratic candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives in Iowa's 4th District. He's running against Randy Feenstra. Republican incumbent, anti-choice Gilead weirdo. Please welcome Ryan Melton. Hi, Ryan. Hi there. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. I am very, very excited to talk to you today about your candidacy. And uh, the first thing I would like to start with in our Flip It Blue segment is that so that the candidate can explain a little bit about their district. And you're running for Iowa's fourth. So tell us a little bit about the mix of different demographics that you have in that district and sort of where the numbers were for that district in the last election, that kind of stuff? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we have a 36-county district. It's essentially the northwest quadrant of Iowa with a bit of a panhandle along the Nebraska-Iowa border down to the Missouri border, so geographically speaking. Uh, as far as demographics, it, it is a heavily rural district. Um, but, you know, there are some larger towns. Uh, you've got Ames, where Iowa State's located, Sioux City up in the northwest, Council Bluffs, which is uh, all, uh, on the other side of the Nebraska-Iowa border from Omaha. But it, it is heavily rural. Um, as far as um, what happened in the last campaign, that was Feenstra's first campaign on the Republican side. He defeated J.D. Scholten on the Democratic side by roughly 25%. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the, the voter makeup, um, there are roughly, at last check, roughly 90,000 more um, active Republican voters than Democrats. So, you know, it's definitely a deep red district, no doubt about it. Um, but in 2018, J.D. Shulton almost beat Steve King. And I'm sure you probably know that name, uh, lost by 3%. So in, in no way is it impossible. And, and you know, I think when you look at Congressman Feenstra's voting record and how out of touch he is with the needs of the people in our district, there's plenty of stuff to run on uh, all day, every day. And that's what I've been doing and will continue to do. Yeah. And we're going to get to your platform and the differences between you and Feenstra in a second. But talk a little bit about why it's so important. And because mostly here on this show, we feature Democratic candidates running in red districts and districts that are closing the gap between, you know, from 2016 to 2018 and beyond. And there is purpose. There's method to the madness. There is a reason besides winning that you should be running. And I and I was hoping that you could explain the importance because there are so many districts in this country where we just don't even put a Democrat on the ticket. Now everyone's like, ah, it's just a waste of time, but it is not a waste of time. Can you explain why it is not a waste of time? In the short term, it's all about hope. You know, when I was door knocking throughout the fourth district to get the number of signatures I needed to get on the primary ballot, I go into neighborhoods where to every, you know, 100 Trump signs, there'd be one liberal leaning sign. So, for example, you know, I was up in Esterville, which is on the Iowa Minnesota border, deep red, and had seen, you know, just Trump sign after Trump sign after Trump sign. What I was noticing when I was door knocking is that um, there were a lot of Democratic liberal leaning signs too. It was just there on the porch instead of outside in the front yard. And I asked why. And, you know, the, the common refrain was, was people are, are nervous. They're anxious about putting their signs out because we're in a rather toxic environment right now. But I can tell you that when I knocked on their door, they were so glad 
that a Democrat was running, um, fighting the good fight regardless of the odds, because um, the Democrats are there and the open-minded independents and Republicans are there too. But, you know, if you consider political strength from the amount of noise the side brings, well, you know, Trumpers are going to win that just about every time uh, because they're in your face. Um, they, they are unrestrained. And I think it kind of knocked a lot of Democrats in the district back on their heels a bit. So seeing me in their communities, knocking on their doors really um, drove hope up for them. Um, and, you know, what really resonated with me in Esterville was I knocked the door of someone who had a pride sign out on their front yard. And literally, this was like an oasis amidst a hundred Trump signs. Uh, That's with brave. That's community. brave as fuck. It's you know? really brave. And, you know, my thought has always been if if they can fight the good fight despite the odds, why can't one of us? Why can't mm. we put a Democrat on, a, on every ballot? But I'm also running uh, for the mid and long term. I really think the Republican Party has taken an unsustainable position. Um, they've wedded themselves to Trumpism and to anti-democracy, but they were clever enough with the January 6th lead up and post fallout to couch their anti-democracy within democracy, arguing that, oh, really, it's our democratic institutions that were under attack from all this election fraud. They're smart enough to know that the American people value democracy. And as this continues to unwind for Trump and his ilk, and the people on the ground will see that the Republican Party wedded themselves to fascism and to anti-democracy. That's an unsustainable position for the Republicans to be in. And so we as Democrats need to fight the good fight now so that when the Republican Party breaks its own back, the voters will see that Democrats have been fighting the entire time. We can't make that argument if we don't run now. And so that's why I'm running. Yeah, a little bit of due process, right? Yep. A little bit of cred. And I think it's important, you know, you bring up a good point. The Trump side is very loud, but they're very small. 19 to 25 percent of the electorate, as they say in Texas, all hat and no cattle. And uh, and that sort of brings us to the issues that most people are concerned about, especially in election years. And, you know, everyone's concerned about, quote unquote, kitchen table issues, economic anxiety, which is, you know, just sort of code for whiteness. But there are real democracy laden issues on the ballot. You mentioned fascism. They talk about rank democracy. I mean, it's it's starting to become obvious. They're saying the quiet part out loud. And then we have things like and this is where I want to get into your platform a little bit. Your opponent is is anti-choice. Let's talk about that, because that is going to be a huge issue on the ballot in November. Uh, my opponent is as anti-choice as they come. And you know, he he runs on this. He runs on this as his primary issue, uh, anti-abortion. But when you talk to most people here in the fourth district, they have a much more nuanced view than that, even if they would consider themselves to be pro-life. Um, you know, they understand that if, you know, we, we have case studies all around the world of countries that have um, banned abortion or severely restricted it. It doesn't really notably decrease abortion, but what it does is it criminalizes womanhood. And so, you know, how, how does one, you know, I've seen so many of these state laws being pushed that would criminalize induced abortion. How do you even know? You know, it criminalizes women who are going through miscarriage. My wife went through a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that my wife is criminalized? Pregnancy is a very traumatic medical process that, that a woman goes through. And to criminalize every stage of that is incredibly frightening. And I think most people realize that. Um, so, you know, sure, you know, you can have uh, reasonable discussions with someone who 
considers himself to be pro-life in, in certain aspects of it. But at the end of the day, we've already seen what happens when we legislatively ban or severely restrict abortion. We already know what happens. And the last thing that we should be doing right now is criminalizing women um, and you know, entrusting the discussions around reproductive rights um, in the hands of, of men who have no idea what they're talking about. Just the amount of, of men that have discussed the process of pregnancy and abortion and birth, making it very clear they have very little idea what they're talking about. They're the last people that should be legislating these things. Yeah. And, and even to take it a step further, when you enact these anti-choice laws, you know, pursuant to Roe being overturned, the enforcement is such a huge invasion of privacy. When you think, you know, when you talk to knocking doors, talking to women, saying if you have an ectopic pregnancy, for example, and it's not viable, the government is going to want to step in and inspect your genitals to find out whether or not your pregnancy is actually ectopic. Your medical records are going to be handed over to the government. And that's the kind of really frightening thing that Republicans used to be completely against. And so, you know, I can see that that's probably one really important way to reach out, you know, and you don't have to be loving abortions to hate the fact that the government wants to, you know, to enter your private medical. There's an awful lot of cognitive dissonance there. Mm -hmm. You know, the Republican uh, side, those in positions of power um, talk all day, every day about keeping government um, out of our lives. And yet they want to have government involved in our most intimate moments of our lives. And, you know, talking about this through a fourth district prison, you know, I'm a big advocate of Medicare for all, a single payer universal health care plan. Um, to streamline access and to increase access. so And it makes it cheaper, too. <laughs> makes it cheaper, right? So we, we have a big problem here in rural Iowa with rural hospitals closing. And just imagine if you're someone who has an ectopic pregnancy, obviously that can be life-threatening, right? The, the more hospitals that are closing in your uh, vicinity, how that just ramps up the risk to your well-being. And then adding on top of that a government mandate where they require um, inspections, documentations, paperwork, sign-off before you can do anything about it. Well, you may you might be dead by then. Mm-hmm. It, it's just absolutely impractical. It solves nothing. It causes a lot more problems, um, and it's it's something that I'm fighting against every day here in the fourth district. Excellent, excellent. And another issue that I want to talk about before we get to the to the end here is something that's very important in your district. And that's, you know, aside from union support, workplace safety, but sustainable agriculture. I mean, when I think Iowa, (laughs) I think agriculture. And in the district that you're in, that's mostly what's happening up in that corner of your world. And so talk a little bit about the discussions you're having with the folks on the ground about sustainable agriculture and what you plan to do to help those folks and what Feenstra does to harm them. Yeah. Well, you know, Feenstra has completely wedded himself with ethanol production. That's a big issue here in the fourth district. But we know that if you go back to the Renewable Fuel Standards Act that was passed in Congress around 2007, it was agreed at that time that ethanol would be a transitionary renewable fuel. So we can get to next gen renewable fuels to have even greater mitigation on on our climate. 
Um, but we were kind of stuck in this ethanol space right now. So he actually wrote an op-ed uh, the other day, uh, lambasting Biden's plan to force everyone to buy $50,000 electric vehicles. And, mm. um, and you know, he said, you know, by the way, if you buy electric vehicles, uh, oil and, um, and coal will, will fuel the electric grid to power up those EV vehicles anyway. He didn't mention wind or solar a single time yeah, in that no op-ed. Clear. Yeah, nothing. Right, not yeah. a single time. And so, um, and there's reasons for that. There's reasons why he's a big proponent of these carbon capture pipelines, carbon sequestration technology, which has, they've been proven not to be effective. It's a massive money dump. Doesn't solve for much. Doesn't capture a whole lot of. Well, the goal is to keep big oil in business. It's to keep big oil in business. That's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, So for me, you know, we need to spend a lot more of our resources and energy not on propping up an ethanol system that was not supposed to be permanent. It was supposed to be transitionary. And a lot of the farmers in the ground say the same thing. We need to spend a lot more of our attention and, and money uh, focusing on next-gen uh, renewable fuels, wind and solar. Because, I mean, beyond the simple fact that we're in a climate crisis right now, an existential crisis, I also want my farmer, uh, the farmers here in my state of Iowa to not be left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, more and more research is coming out showing that ethanol um, is not nearly uh, as effective in mitigating for climate change um, as no, originally it, it would be like going and buying a coal plant right now. Like, is yeah, you know, that's the way you, you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> when you consider for all the inputs and the outputs, at the end of the day, um, ethanol is not that much better than fossil fuel. And in some cases, it may not be any better, depending upon the study you look at. So we need to, we need to move beyond this, this ethanol pattern we're stuck in and, and help our farmers transition. So as far as how we do that, there's this dichotomy here of funding versus regulation. And the farmers on the ground, they know what the issues are. They know that our current ag model is unsustainable for a wide variety of reasons we probably don't have the time to get into today. Um, but the issue is, is that our farmers are struggling. And I'm not talking about the corporate interests on the processing side. I'm talking about the farmers on the ground that don't have a whole lot of control over their price. They're struggling. We're losing a lot of farmers. They're under massive debt right now. So just to go the route of regulation alone, it's not going to accomplish anything. You're just going to lose more farmers because they don't have the money to adjust to sustainable act. We need to use farm bill mechanisms, um, not written by corporate interests, but written with the interests of our farmers in mind so that we provide them transitionary aid so they can buy the machinery and tech they need to transition to a more sustainable act model. Right now, we focus primarily on corn and soy, that causes an awful lot of soil erosion, an awful lot of waterway pollution. We need to diversify our crops. We need to promote no, no-till um, and do a wide variety of other things. And the only way we're really going to do that is by giving transitionary aid to our farmers so they can get to a more sustainable model. Now that and when the infrastructure money starts coming in, do you want uh, a Republican to spend it on you know, unsustainable mm-hmm. things, or do we mm-hmm. need to put it in the hands of someone who will disseminate it that in, in ways that which will benefit the farmers? Well, and we've seen, you know, when you look at the um, the relief that went out, the COVID relief that went out, we, we've seen issues in our fourth district where you have county boards of supervisors, they get this, this COVID relief money, and you see them spending it on things like uh, fixing the roof of a prison. Um, you see that on, on buying a, a, snow, a snow hill, a ski hill, um, they argue it's to to generate economic activity post COVID, but clearly the intention of the COVID relief money was to mitigate for COVID so that we can get to a post pandemic environment. Um, and so I totally agree with you. You know, we we need to have Democrats in office and positions of power 
that use and uh, that money as it's intended for. It's just going to get stolen. It's just going to get stolen. It's a big concern. It's a big concern. Uh, it, well, especially considering, yeah, I mean, if you have people in if positions, the Republicans get it right. If you have positions, uh, people in positions of power who care more about uh, propping themselves up and propping up their group of people rather than disseminating that aid uh, mindfully. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to have uh, the haves and have nots when it comes to infrastructure disbursement, no doubt about it. Yeah. You want to replace a, a prison roof so that the private prison contractors don't have to spend that money out of their own pocket. <laughs> right. We're going to use government funds that were intended for the people. Right. Uh, and instead, it saves money for a couple of rich guys who are yeah. incarcerating people probably for no good reason. OK, we could talk for hours, my friend. <laughs> sure but, we could. Uh, I would like to find out where our listeners can go and support your campaign, support you and whether it's monetary, you know, kicking in a couple of bucks. Or whether it's text banking, phone banking, postcard writing, uh, but the money is so so helpful to support the staff and the people on the ground knocking the doors and and doing all that. Talk a little bit. Tell us where we can do that for you. Yeah, you know, uh, my website is miltonforiowa.com. M E L T O N F O R I O A dot com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, Melton for Iowa, the four spelled out on Facebook. Uh, Melton for Twitter, the number four uh, on Twitter. So Melton for Iowa on Twitter. Um, we're getting our Instagram going. I'm not all that familiar with Insta, as the cool kids call it, but we're working Same. on it. Yeah, so <laughs> we're working on that. Uh, we're working on TikTok, but um, essentially, if you plug in Melton for Iowa, you're going to be able to find me. And um, you know, we'd love. Uh, so we actually are a relatively new campaign. So we started back in mid January of this year. The primary reason being, like what you said at the beginning, that there was a real risk that a Democrat was not going to be on the ballot in this race. And I, I've never intended to run for public office, even though I've been asked to from time to time. But uh, at some time, you know, sometime you're just called to a higher calling and it was the right thing to do. And um, so we're still a young campaign. Um, so any help you can give with fundraising or if like, you, you know, if you want to phone bank, letter write, whatever you want to do, you know, just you know, give us a holler and we'll be happy to have a conversation with you about best fit. So we can keep this thing growing because we're growing, no doubt about it. And people are excited about what we're doing. Uh, but any help you can provide is appreciated for sure. Thank you uh, so much, everyone. Ryan Melton, M-E-L-T-O-N, Melton. And you can find him at, what is it, Melton for Iowa. You can probably just Google that. It'll pop up. And uh, of course, follow him on all the socials. And as soon as you get that uh, TikTok up, you let us know. I will. I uh, would love to see some conversations that you that you have with folks as you're going out and knocking on doors. I think that would be really, really powerful. Running for the U.S. House of Representatives in Iowa's 4th District. Ryan Melton, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everyone, it's AG. And this year I am making my skin a priority. My skincare regime is so important now, which is why I'm using Osea the amazing cult favorite spa-like skincare line. It's actually used in spas. Osea has been making clean and effective skincare products for over 25 years. It's amazing. They have been vegan and cruelty-free since 1996, so safe for your skin and the planet and aminals. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers, and they're known for creating incredible body products like their famous body oil. My favorite is Osea's new body butter. I use it every day. It's softening and nourishing. It makes my tattoos pop. It has this great citrus scent that's just energizing. I really enjoy how good the texture feels, how it applies smoothly without being sticky. Makes my skin look moisturized, smooth, glowing, healthy, and a little really does go a long way, so it lasts forever. It's been clinically proven to moisturize your skin for up to 72 hours, so you should try it for yourself. 
Find your new skincare and body care favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and orders over $50 get free shipping and you're going to want it all. So go to osea, O-S-E-A, malibu.com and use code DAILYBEANS at checkout. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, anything you want to send us, Halloween photos, pod pet pics, you can send it in by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts and you are not a patron and you're not a supercaster, you're going to want to go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and make sure that you follow and subscribe that version of the Daily Beans because one of them is going to be archived here soon. And uh, I honestly don't know which one it is. And so you don't want to lose the beans in your feed. So if you listen to Apple, if you listen to us on Apple and you're not, if you have a premium feed, ignore me. But if you don't have a premium feed and you listen on Apple Podcasts, go to apple.co slash beans, all lowercase, and follow and subscribe to that podcast. All right. First up from Mike Peters. The show with LB was delightful. That's Lincoln's Bible. She's a hoot and you are too. I have to correct your statement that New Mexico is boring and ugly. Who said this? Hey, Gene, did you say this? Where was I? I have to be clear here. I said no. I I said Texas between the major cities and that the drive on the eight from Florida to Los Angeles is pretty shitty. Okay. Now, Mike Peter says the understandable mistake you made was driving on an interstate instead of taking a peek at our many glories. I think Dana might be able to back me up on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a recent arrival in the land of legumes, but I'm here to stay. Keep on cussing. Thanks, Mike. And welcome. And I know New Mexico is beautiful, especially off that highway. It really is an extraordinary. You know, I didn't get to enjoy it as much until I turned into an adult because when you grow up in a place, I don't think you have as much appreciation Mm -hmm. for it. But going back on the blue skies and the mountains and Oh, it's lovely. And the sunsets. And the photos yeah. that, uh, that he provided are amazing. That gorge. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. This is from Harrier, pronounced she and her. Apologies if this is not completely coherent. The anesthesia and pain meds are doing their job. But good news, I got my uterus out. Now, I wasn't at risk for pregnancy, but both because my tubes were tied 10 years ago and I'm an ace. But for 32 years, since they found my extreme deformations due to excruciating cramps when I was 14, I've been trying to get this done. I moved to SoCal recently and found an amazing OB that after my first sentence said, let's kick that bitch out. (laughs) 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 I love her. Seriously, I think I have a crush. I think I do too now. Right? I don't know many people in the area yet, but I'm going to have a a uterus party (laughs) and get a pinata and pin the scalpel on the uterus. Oh my God. Even if there's just a few people there, it's going to be cathartic and fun. I added a photo that might be considered gore of the masochistic fucker as it was removed. But I also added cute pics of my buddies, the white one, carbon albino Siamese, Mm. and the black one, Einstein, all heart, no brain. Oh my God, I love this writer. Went off to the family farm a few years ago. Amazing Mm. cats. The tortie, who's pickles, and the great tabby, Olympia, are here with me and desperately (laughs) trying to snuggle on my belly to help me feel better. Physically, there's no pain. Emotionally, I'm ecstatic. Pickles and Olympia. (laughs) 
I love it. <sighs> and and she, uh, it closes with, AG, I hope that you have fun in Washington, D.C. this week. Safe travels. Yeah, and you're in SoCal. I want to know who your GYN is because that's badass. I know, right? Let's get this bitch out. Look at these babies. Oh, they're so cute. So oh, the Christmas photos are the best. Thank you, Harrier. And congratulations for kicking the bitch out. Next up from Anonymous. Hi, new listener here. I was listening to the show last week and I was disappointed to hear that when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was mentioned, the host said she was going to win her race. It was disheartening to hear from an AR and knowing how awesome Chris Jones is, her opponent. Anyway, don't give up hope for Arkansas. Deal. I won't. Thank you, Anonymous. What a beautiful pet text. Uh, I know. Look at the baby. Hi, Dalgo. I'm going to catch the next one, too, from Sandy, pronoun she and her. Hi, ladies. Just want to thank you for all your due. So glad I was listening to Mary Trump and found you also. Dana loved your rooftop rants during the COVID lockdown. Here are from top left to bottom right, six of our seven doxies wow. and our newest doxy in between my partner and I for my pet tax. This is a this is you're paying a lot of tax. I am the grayer of the two women. Ben Anesthesia, DDB, a.k.a. Dapple Doodle Baby, Lily, Frankie, she, her and Jack the Lass. Between myself and my partner, Oliver, our newest rescue. Thanks again and happy pride. Look at these wired haired and smooth and long haired doxies. Look at these. Uh, what an amazing group. Oh, look at the too. blonde. Wow. Oh, blondes have more fun. That's I, that would, that's Hot Lips Houlihan right there. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. All right. This next one's from Alexis. Pronounced she and her. Find the cat. Hi, everyone. Well, it happened. The hubs and I got COVID, mm. even though we followed all the rules. He's had it rough with coughing, congestion, and fatigue, but I hit the COVID symptom bingo on Wednesday. Zero stars. Do not recommend. We just started feeling better. Enough to take our 16-pound, holy shitballs, 16-pound black cat Sammy out in the yard for his daily constitutional. (laughs) It's either that or wait until he bursts through the screen like the Kool-Aid man. Attached is a shot of him hiding from mom and dad so he can stay out longer. Can you find him? I have a video of him emerging from his hidey hole on his TikTok, which is at Big Sammy with an I-E, Big Sammy Cat. That's right. His TikTok. I hope this brightens your day as all of you brighten mine. And look at how cute. I see Sammy. Yeah, I had a cat that was just would try to hide, quote unquote. It's just terrible at hiding. Like, uh, like the, oh, they can't, like, like he would be behind a broomstick. Oh my God, that's funny. Like looking at me, like, oh, she can't see me. Uh, That's funny. All right, next up from Mac, pronouns he and him. Morning, Daily Beans fam. I just thought I'd share this good news from the world of comic books and superheroes. Kevin Conroy, known to most as the definitive voice of Batman from the animated series through the turn of the century into Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, just came out as gay. And I couldn't be happier for him. Just wanted to share that bit of light in these dark days. Look at that. Kevin Conroy's coming out story is DC's most important comic in years. Legendary Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy wrote a new story detailing his own coming out story, and it's one of the most important comics in years. And there it is. Amazing. Amazing. This will be in the, in the notes. That's awesome. All right. You hit the last one in this amazing looking dog. I will. This is from Dwayne. Pronounce he him. I'm a fairly recent subscriber. I drive Uber and expose riders to MSW. Nice. And the Beans Queens, whether they like it or not. My misheard lyrics is from my ex-wife, who was sure that words to a popular Rolling Stone songs were, don't leave your pizza burning. Had to literally download the song to prove it was Beast of Burden. Oh, my God. I'll be 
Your beast of burning. Don't leave your pizza burning. I mean, it's fair. It's fair. Here's a picture of Petey, my rescue destructo mutt. Oh my God. <laughs> Love listening and laughing. Dwayne, that dog. Oh, sweetness. And I wonder if you named him Petey because he looks like the little rascal's Petey. Maybe. I the bet you're probably Pete. on there. Look at the belly spots. I want to rub it. I want to rub the belly. Oh, so sweet. Oh, thank you for that. And hello, whoever's in the Uber. Hi. Hi, and Dwayne's Uber. If you're my listening, hi. Andy. You've got a great driver. Five stars, that shit. Give him a tip. Hell yeah. Do it. All right. Thank you all so much for your submissions. If you have anything you want to send in to us, share your stuff with us, please. Any of it, whatever you want. Um, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, do you yes. have any final thoughts for today? Um, I, hey, if you're going to be in Utah, if you're in Salt Lake City this Saturday, I'm going to be there for the HRC gala. So if you happen to be in Salt Lake City and you want to go support a great organization and get dressed up, they have their black tie gala and you can get the information online. It's the Salt Lake City HRC gala. So yeah, that's where I'll be this Saturday. Awesome. Awesome. And how much money have you raised for them? 800 trillion zillion dollars? Oh my God. For HRC and other nonprofits around the country, over 50 million. You're up to 50 million now. Yeah. Goodness sakes. Thank you for all you do. It's been a lot of years since 2009, but I'm glad I can keep <laughs> adding to it. Uh, what amazing work you do. Okay. So Utah, if you're in there, Salt Lake City, check it out. That's this Saturday, the 18th, correct? It is. And uh, if you're in the D.C. area on the 18th, I will be having a meet and greet. Come have a cocktail with AG or a mocktail, whatever you're doing. The information, details, times, areas, places, addresses, all that stuff is going to go out to your patron email address. This is for patrons only and supercasters only. So if you're not one and you want to be one, it's just three bucks. Might as well. Um, 36 bucks for a whole year. And we do now have we have some room on our list. If you want to sign up, if you can't afford, if you can't swing a one year subscription to the premium feed, ad free and stuff, we have some available to be gifted. So just head to dailybeanspod.com. You'll see their patrons sponsoring patrons. You can click on there and get on the list and you should be able to get one. We've had so many wonderful people donate one-year subscriptions over this past week. So thank you so much to those very, very kind and generous people. All right, everybody. I will be back tomorrow. Somehow I'll be in DC. I don't know. It'll, I'll make it happen, but you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear from us. You're, you're around tomorrow too, right, Dana? You're done traveling for I a am. I'll be here. All right, cool. Until then, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W-Media.